Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Just Baseball Show, it's presented by BetMGM. Use promo code JustBaseball. Start betting with the king of sportsbooks. We're not going to keep you for very long at all because we kept Walker Bueller for a very long time. Uh, we, we talked about some awesome stuff. We talked about the best pitchers in the game. We also talked about just overall pitching philosophy. We got kind of inside baseball and inside baseball mechanics with him, which was great. Two things off the top, though. Jesus Lazardo was awesome. Front of the program was electric. And you put your tinfoil hat on for a trade. I'm very happy for you. Let's start with Lazardo, and then we'll get to that trade. Jesus Lazardo, 13 punch outs on Sunday in a win over the Rockies or Saturday? It was it was it was Sunday. Um was Sunday. and and also I just gotta like put myself out there. I drank bourbon on an empty tummy again on one of these episodes. So like I'm I'm feeling it. I'm I'm definitely feeling it. But yeah, tinfoil cap's gonna be on for for a trade. Very excited to to talk about Lizardo because Lizardo, you know, we've talked about the story, and you know, if you if you if you've been an OG listener of the Just Baseball Show, you you probably heard that interview that we did with him. Was it last year? I think it was last year, early last, last year. year. Uh, just just a salt of the earth dude, grinder, and just just honestly, just an easy dude to root for. But what he did on the on the big stage, I say big stage, but I say like. I say it because it was a moment where the Marlins needed him the most. Of course, home game at Lone Depot Park against the Rockies, not the big stage. But I felt like Sandy Alcantara had a chance to break the losing streak, which is like the the ace test for me. Yeah. And of course, he's proven himself as an ace by winning the, the, the Cy Young unanimously. But the true indication of an ace is coming out and giving your team a dominant start 
when they are losing and snapping that cold spell. He didn't do that, by the way. He gave up four earned runs in the first inning against the Cardinals. Yeah. Jesus Lizardo did that. Didn't get the win because you end up having AJ Puck blow the save. But Lizardo threw a career high 115 pitches, struck out 13. I know it's the Rockies, but I don't care. Struck out 13 to snap what was an eight-game losing spell for the Marlins, who you know had seen themselves slide from first in the wild card all the way to, to look on the outside looking in. Big win for them. But I just wanted to like specifically talk about Lizardo because this, this is a year where you don't have the like clear-cut dominant frontline guys, you know, at the top. We talk about that with Walker, kind of about like who are the guys that are standing out to you the most? And you could pick like 10 different dudes yeah. because there's nobody that's just clear cut the best pitcher in the game right now in the national league specifically. And my prediction was Lizardo getting Cy Young votes, partly because I love Lizardo, partly because I don't think anyone's truly, truly, truly running away with the national league right now. Yeah. And man, like he looked like one of the best left-handers in the league on Sunday. So Lizardo, and Walker brings up a, a good point in regards to Lazardo too. And, you know, we're not spoiling the entire Walker conversation because it was again, an hour, an but hour. Um, he, he made a really good point about Lazardo. It's like the stuff is just so ridiculous. And you were wondering kind of when it was going to step up. Um, and, and it is fully stepped up now. And his arsenal has been out of a video game for a couple of years now. But I think when you actually see it click in a big league game and you punch out 13, and you get a win like that at home, you start to realize how video game that stuff actually is, where it's high 90s fastball, disgusting slider, two other really strong offerings. Like Jesus Lizardo has the pitch mix to be a one in Major League yep. Baseball. And I think that we are finally seeing that Arsenal get refined to the point where it can be considered frontline. And the confidence and it's funny because, of course, Sandy Alcantara is the ace of the Marlins until he sucks for like multiple years. But yeah. at this given point, I just wanted to run this question to you. If the Marlins made the playoffs next week, yes, and it's game one. For the sake of the listener that may not yeah. already intuitively know what I'm going to ask, uh, you and I talk way too much. Yeah. If the Marlins had game one of the postseason, three game set wild card series against the Dodgers, who gets the ball game one? Yes, Lizardo. <laughs> yes, yes gets the ball game one. Yeah. Yes gets the ball game one. Yuri gets the ball game two. Sandy gets the ball game three. Even if you lost game one, you'd give the ball to Yuri game two. Absolutely Season on the line. Yeah, Sandy's a four and a half right now. What's Yuri? Honestly, it Yuri's in double A like a bum. Actually, and, okay, and I don't like. Yeah, Yuri got option. I don't <laughs> like simplifying it to that level like oh what's his era let's go by era it's you know line leader tallest kid goes first um no like Very. exactly but <laughs> it is simply honestly i have to simplify it to that and i have to acknowledge that when yuri perez has been on the hill this year for the miami marlins he's been objectively better than sandy alcantara yep. luzardo has not been as i don't know sub two as yuri yeah. has been but what luzardo has done has provided consistency in that rotation, something that Yuri could do, but won't get the opportunity to because he's 20 and his previous high in innings was 80. So yeah. Lazardo is the consistent one for the Miami Marlins right now. And I firmly believe that. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know how much we talked about the Yuri thing from what I've heard. Uh, the sources check here uh, early August, that could obviously change. Scoopsy McGee. 
He scoops him McGee over here. I've heard early August is the plan. Mid-August latest, they need him. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. But a team that needs pitching, and then the kind of the thing I want to wrap up with in the in the intro, we were mocking trades in the last episode. And the more time I've been thinking about it, and the more time I've just been spending. Dylan Cease is a guy you've watched plenty of. As you know, I know that you're less plugged into the White Sox. Still fucking watch them. Yeah, I still hate watch all the time. I'd be the same way, though. Like, I wouldn't be very plugged into that fucking team. They're a joke. And also, Pedro Greifel is starting to have some brutal. I know we came out and said, like, it's not his fault, but he's had some brutal sound bites. Yeah, but you can only only sound like a doofus so much. Yeah, like it's just like what we was like. I, I, you know, Eagle is in there for his bat. I'm fine with him jogging down the line. And then the, the one of like toning it down for Oscar Colas. I just thought that was hilarious. He was adjusting his boombox. He was adjusting, yeah, the adjusting the boombox. Bo- like, what the fuck? So, dude, at- most of the kids today don't know what the fuck a boombox is. I had a boombox, but like even then it was like a reach for me. I got to be like one of the last kids to have had a boombox. Yeah, no. Well, you're 26. I'm 25. I never had a boombox. You were exactly. The last kid so I was literally like last of the lineage to have a boombox. This is deep cut. Syracuse football head coach Dino Babers. Dino loved the cake is baking analogy. Like we're baking the cake. You got to trust it. Like it's going to taste really good when it comes oh. out. And we're on like year six. And it's like, hey, is the cake still baking, Dino? Um, so that that's my thing is like, are we still turning the volume down on a boombox for Oscar, Oscar Colas? Like, like, no, he just needs to chase less and, and just put better swings on balls. Like it's, it's not the boom box. And it's just, I think it's funny when they're telling Eloy to turn the boom box off. Basically it's okay. Just swing yeah. and walk to first base. But anyways, back to the main point. Yeah. Dylan Cease is one of the most talented pitchers in major league baseball. That's, yes. that's well documented. Is there a better spot for him to land than the Houston Astros seeing what, what they did to revitalize Justin Verlander to revitalize Charlie Morton, uh, and then, you know, not that he needs revitalizing, but he needs a little bit of optimization here. Can he, like, the second he gets traded to the Astros, do you not think that he turns into that guy we saw last year again, or maybe even better? There is one star player in baseball history I know off the top of my head that has leveled up on crappier teams, and that's Alex Rodriguez. The shittier the team was, the better he got. Yeah. Everybody else uses team success as a catalyst for individual success, and it works the other way too. I think the moment you put Dylan Cease on a good team, that guy becomes unhittable. And it's not a buy-in thing. I don't think it's a buy-in thing because you can be bought in, but right now Cease is bought into his individual stock. Cease is not bought into trying to give the White Sox seven innings of one-run ball so they can win a game 2-1. Like It doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter. Right now. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. And that is not an indictment on Dylan Cease, the teammate. That's not an indictment on Dylan Cease, the teammate on a bad team. All I'm saying is it's easier to get up for the moment and you think about, okay, what can I do to bump my stock personally when I get to arbitration? You think about that less and less when you're on a team where the games actually fucking matter. Yeah. And the games matter in Houston. So I think that that would be an immediate improvement for Dylan Cease's headspace. It would be welcomed for Cease. Sox fans would hate it. Guess what, Sox fans? The only way you get better is by trading a Dylan Cease or a Luis Robert. And beyond that, too, and that's like on a subconscious level, but beyond that, like, how about the fact that they just know how to get the most out of these extremely talented guys with great breaking balls and optimizing their arsenal? So that's one side of it. Do you know, real quick, do you know what they did to Garrett Cole? No. Like, dude, Cole, I, you, Wait, that's I, another guy though. That, that's three guys off the dome with similar type of stuff to Dylan Cease 
that all hit another level or regained a previous level by joining the Houston Astros. Dylan, it would be the best thing that could happen to Dylan Cease. Can I can I give you these numbers right here? Garrett Cole, yeah. obviously, he's been with the Yankees four years with the Yankees. He's got a 317. He's punching out 11 and a half per night. Garrett Cole, five years with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He had a 350 ERA. He was punch, he was punching out 8.4 guys per night. Yeah. When he went to Houston, two years in Houston, where he threw 412 innings, year one in Houston, 200 innings, year two in Houston, 212 innings. This guy was punching out 13 hitters per nine and had a 2-7. It's Dylan Cease all over again. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And so the last thing I'll say here, the subsequent question that comes with it, no, no brainer, like this is exactly what always comes with it. Well, the Astros don't have any prospects. If you look at MLB Pipeline, they don't have prospects. But I can tell you this. They're willing to part with an outfielder. Jake Myers starts the deal. They could use a Jake Myers. I'm not saying that that's going to be the centerpiece of the deal. I'm just saying like that's the big leaguer you get. That helps the, the White Sox next year and beyond. He's a free agent in 2028. The thing with the, the Astros are similar to the Braves, but he, I think even more so. They have a bunch of prospects that scouts, general managers, front offices, all value as top 100 guys, but you'll never see them on a top 100 list. Ryan Clifford being one of them. You got... You know, top three round money was drafted in the in the middle rounds and no one knows about him. Crazy juice, very highly regarded outside of, you know, the the, the conventional top 100 lists. Like I guarantee you most evaluators and front offices look at Clifford as a, you know, 50 future value prospect. Joey Loperfito, similar, you know, in that respect. Zach Denzenzo or Dezenzo, that guy was just in the top 50 on baseball prospectuses, you know, top 50. And Prospectus knows their shit. We've talked about that a lot on the Prospectus call. Prospectus knows their shit. And, and that's another guy. Um, of course, you, you've you got Baez as well. Oh, my God. Luis Baez is disgusting. That's a guy that will be on our top 100 update. So will Clifford, I think. That's another guy that's super highly regarded. Like they've got the pieces. They just don't fit the like, oh, you Google it, and then this is their prospect ranking. But the front office, I, even Rick Hahn, will be made aware of how good those guys are. If the Astros wanted to make a deal happen, they could. They have pieces. And that's not even mentioning the guy that they just drafted in the first round who already looks great, Drew Gilbert, if they really had to. Like, they've got pieces. I promise you the Astros could make it happen if they were willing to part with the guys that the White Sox would want. I'm not saying Rick Hahn identified them, but the the scouts with the White Sox, even they could identify these guys and know that they're top 100 talents. Yeah, and I think that they they immediately get a big league outfielder in Jake Myers. They need a big league outfielder. Um, they need everything, and they need people in the system that are talented at baseball. And I think that they are going to add to the Colson Montgomerys and the Brian Ramoses and the Noah Schultzes. And and I think that they can get better as a system. I think that they are perfect trade partners. Houston makes a lot of sense. I thought Baltimore was a shoe in, but Baltimore, you know, Buster only said. You know, apparently they're they're thinking about strategically buying, and I was thinking that means the tandem of Ryan Yarbrough and Jordan Lyles going those motherfuckers, bro. If they do that, I'm gonna crazy. They're crazy. Like my shit. I I bet I bet they go get two rentals, and I bet they don't cost much. Um, but yeah, man, that that's a tough one. So no, I like it. It would be easy for me to stomach. It would be hard for the White Sox fan base to stomach, but you gotta stomach it because you need to move cease for quality prospects. We're about to get to Walker Bueller. Do you like my hoodie? Yeah, I do. We've got a new deal. It's with Homage Apparel. Really excited to talk to you about Homage. Uh, Our friends at Homage have put together a promo code 
for us. Just baseball 20, all caps, just baseball, one word, 20, two, zero deal details on the deal. 20% off your entire order. There is no minimum. You get one shirt, you get one, you know, piece of apparel, you get this 20% off deal. Um, it does not stack with other site-wide promos. It's available to new customers only limited one use per customer. Offer expires August 7th. Go to homage.com. The link is in our episode description. Not only are they cool, like they sent me an Expos hoodie and I got a nice throwback White Sox shirt. Are you going to say how soft they are? Like, yes, but I'm not like blowing smoke right now. No, they're soft as shit. That's why I was going to, that's why I wanted to make it clear that you're not blowing smoke. I was going to say it at the same time. I've got my Pudge Rodriguez and, um, I think it's Gary Sheffield. No, Pudge Rodriguez and Miguel Cabrera won back in New York. That's so comfortable. Uh, it, I'm telling you, it, they're they're very soft, very comfortable. We they're only fully partner with it. soft merchandise because our, we've got new merch out too, by the way. And check out that link in our description. Tanner Bybee pulled up on the scene in, in his merch with, Dude. with in his, his JB hoodie. And we also had Sal Freelich's brother at his debut rocking his JB hat. So like definitely cop those, but... I'm not going to take away with from homage. Like if you want some like really cool team themed stuff, it's soft and, and it's pretty dope. Yeah. So rep just baseball and rep your favorite team with homage. We also uh, have something exciting coming down the bend with homage that we are uh, amped to talk to you about uh, maybe loosely correlated. Here's our conversation with Walker Bueller today. Let's sip on some bourbon. Let's talk a little baseball with Walker Bueller. I think this is a good little rhythm that we got going every week. Um, new soon-to-be dad, Walker Bueller. Why don't we just lead with that? Are you excited? The, the little I'm two fun. flap? What's going on, man? No, I'm excited, man. End of January, I think uh, everything will change, but no, we're looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, exciting times around here. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's one of those things that I, I, I can't imagine what the feeling's like. I can't imagine how excited you are. And uh, I was going to ask, how, how are you sleep-wise? Like, are you one of those guys that really needs his, like, eight or nine hours? Because I am, and I was just talking about it with my cousins. I have no idea how I'm going to do it when the time comes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm not that picky about the time. I, I used to sleep pretty hard. As I've gotten older, I've started getting up a lot earlier. It's very weird. I get up every day at, like, six now, which is a year ago. That would have been so... Uh, kind of abstract to me, but uh, I guess I'm just getting a little bit, a little bit older. So I think I'm a little more prepared for it now than, than I probably used to be. So next 10 minutes, we're going to spend power ranking each of your Dodger teammates, kids. So who's your favorite <laughs> kid in the Dodger clubhouse? Do you want to start bottom or top least favorite kid? <laughs> With Kershaw's. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I do want to hit on Cody Bellinger before we get into what I know we had in the rundown, which is, you know, best pitchers in baseball right now. I want to ID three or so guys in the American League that you have loved watching this year, three or so guys in the National League that you have loved watching. And then our video element is a matchup of two of the better pitchers in the National League so far this year in Strider and Gallon. But Cody Bellinger from Codify, he ripped it off. The, the July numbers for Cody Bellinger since coming off the I.L. This guy's hitting 452 with seven pumps, 22 driven in in 19 games. And he's got a 1270 OPS. You have seen so many different versions of Cody yep. Bellinger. You have been, you have had a front row seat to every different version of Cody Bellinger. How happy does this version make you? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's super reminiscent of probably the first three months of 2019. 
his MVP year. So, uh, you know, I've seen Cody do this before. I think he was like around, almost, I think it was 1,100, 12, almost 1,200 OPS for a half that year. Uh, I don't know if we want to fact check that. It was pretty, pretty close. I think for a long time we were talking like, oh, he's hitting like 380. And so um, it, it's hard to, there's guys that are streaky where they have great weeks. Cody's one of those guys that has a great month or great two months or great three months uh, that are kind of otherworldly, I guess. And, uh, you know, for the Cubs and, and whoever he may end up with this deadline, I think a lot of people are probably banking on that he can carry it for another two months. But, uh, you know, he, he, it's not like he was struggling really at the beginning of the year too. He was playing well and, um, seems to have found that next year that, that other guys don't really have relative to him. Um, and then I think the other thing that we don't talk about is like, even with us the last couple of years where it wasn't quite the same MVP swing, like the guy's still a positive war player at like three or four different positions when he's not raking, right. When he's not even like hitting relatively close to himself, he's, he could win. I think he could win a gold glove at four positions, which is, not something that you can really say about a ton of people, especially guys that have hit whatever 40 homers and OPS a thousand and, and stuff like that. Real quick, Aram, before you jump in, Cody Bellinger, 88 games before the break in 2019, hit 336 with an 1124 OPS, yep. had 30 pops. So he was like that good pre break. It, that, that was literally going to be my question is, you know, we, we've seen kind of the, the rough patches of Bellinger where there's a lot of swing and miss, but then you see the stretches where, He's absolutely automatic. You're seeing him hit for average yep. and the power as well. What do you think makes him so good when he's going right and so difficult for pitchers to get out, given that, you know, kind of the dichotomy of the two Bellingers we've seen? Yeah. Um, I mean, we, you can watch him when he's really, really good. It, it seems like he's so balanced because there's no backload, right? So he can kind of get the swing off whenever he wants. You'll see him hit breaking balls in heaters when he's going. Uh, when he struggles, it seems to be that, that he can really hit one of those at a time which is most, most hitters in the major leagues, right? Yeah. Like, um, but he's just so talented at wrapping, contorting his body and being able to create power. Like we've seen him at 220 pounds. We've seen him at 190 pounds. Like he always has juice. Um, you know, the move that he makes is really a lot more similar to pitchers in the way that he's kind of straight up and then separates and creates power. And, um, it's just fun to watch when he's going, man. He, the swing's big and it looks so much long. You know, it's not – it can get long on the back, but it's really not. He gets through into it pretty good, but it's so long out front. It's just a pretty swing and, uh, you know, kind of his look and his – he's a little goofy and, and he hits a homer. He's running around with a big smile. And um, just one of those kids – that or one of those guys that uh, really plays like a kid but, you know, can, can do some grown man things on a baseball field that – not many people can do. I mean, the catch he had for us in the World Series or that run, um, a couple of big, big homers for us. And obviously we celebrated the one a little too hard and, and popped the shoulder. But, um, you know, he still played and, and did all those things after that as well. So, um, yeah, tougher than you might give him credit for. And, um, you know, I remember in 19, the switch was like two strikes. He was hitting balls down the third baseline and, be, you know, getting doubles and stuff like that. And I think that's, you know, everybody, we just had the draft and everybody talks the five tool thing, right? Like hit, run, power, defense, throw, like Cody's all five. And when the hit's going, 
everything else gets elevated and and he's an MVP kind of kind of player. Seven years is a really long time. And the, the structure to get to free agency in Major League Baseball is like really tough. And you see some guys go through ebbs and flows. And I, I don't think there's a greater one that we've seen. My mind goes to Chris Bryant and that huge deal yep. that he signed in Colorado because that guy, he probably made himself $100 million in 2021. Yep. It was that good of a resurgent year. Bellinger, you know what's in the tank, but this guy's going to go from non-tendered to prove-it deal to signing a pretty hefty contract when you know he opts out of this mutual option uh, on what after this year. So, I mean, j- just seeing that and like knowing the pressure that he may have been putting on himself financially, like how impressive is actually com- coming through on like a prove-it year to you? Yeah, I mean it's huge. You know, I think there's different levels of the guys that get non-tendered, right? Wait, like. Not that I was there at the time, but having spoken to Justin Turner about that um, situation, and then he eventually plays two great years and, and signs for whatever he signed for back in the day, and then now signed with Boston for for a good chunk. Like it's been done. I, I think it's very interesting to go MVP, R one record, seventeen million, seventeen million, or whatever he made, and then do it. Like yeah it's very, very easy to get complacent in the fact that that guy's made 40, 50, 55 million dollars playing baseball already. Like, and now I have to go prove it. Like that, that's very, very difficult. Right. We talked about, you and I were talking about the UFC and boxing and the old, uh, it's hard to go run when you wake up in silk sheets thing. Right. Like that, I mean, that's where he's at. He's got enough money for, four generations of his family. Right. But he goes to Chicago of all places, a, a great place to play, but not a um, aloof fan base, right? Like a fan base that's pretty engaged and just goes and does it. And uh, it, I mean, it's cool to see. And, and obviously him being a buddy of mine, I'm extremely happy for him, but it's just, it's pretty wild that, that through those kind of trials, it's, you know, you can tell he wants to play good baseball and be a good baseball player. Right. And, and I think, most of us are like that until you get to a certain amount of income and, and things can change uh, in terms of what this whole thing's about, why you're in the gym, why you're doing X, Y, and Z. And uh, yeah, I think it's a really cool story and, and one that I hope people kind of run with, especially getting in the trade deadline and, and hopefully we get to see him in October somewhere. Yeah, that, that, that was going to be my next question is, you know, when you're playing in a spot where you almost feel like you're playing for your next team in a, in a way with the Cubs kind of sliding. And uh, we were talking about it before we hit record, like there's no shortage of, of suitors for Cody Bellinger. You mentioned he can win a gold glove at four spots or five spots yeah. and he can he can swing it. Like the, He could fit into any single team. Uh, do, what do you think? I obviously haven't been in that position, but what do you think of the idea of like kind of playing for an audition for other teams? Like that's got to be a pretty weird feeling as well. And a lot of guys are end up doing that, whether they're veterans late in their career, like a Nelson Cruz or younger guys that are just playing their way out of the situation that they started. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. I think our trade for Trey and Scherzer as a, as a package deal is going to serve as a pretty good barometer for, for what will happen with Stroman and belly, because you've kind of got, Probably, probably not the same uh, acclaim in terms of career. Scherzer and Stroman's obviously been extremely successful, but he's not at the same point in his career that Max Scherzer was. He's not a future Hall of Famer, right? Right. I mean, you know, you never know. And I think he's going to pitch for a long time and be really good. You never know. But, like, 
Scherzer was at the time, right? Yeah. And, and the assumption is that Trey Turner, a year from when we got him, was going to make $300 million, right? So uh, I think it's a similar profile in terms of top of the rotation guy and a dynamic position player, right? And seemingly the package that we sent to Washington has worked out pretty good for them as well. So with Ruiz and Kybert or with Kybert and <laughs> Josiah, Josiah making the all-star team and, and they've already extended Kybert. So um, I think it could be interesting to see if those guys go together or separate. And I have to assume that players of that caliber in that part of their career, like having a guy they've spent all spring with logistics and doing all that stuff, like, and especially the rumor mill of it all too, right? Like at least they've got a guy that they can bounce like what they're hearing off of or um, what they want, you know, whatever, whatever those conversations are like to kind of get at ease with, I probably am going to get traded. Uh, I got to think is, is beneficial in some way. Those two guys open to play in October. I, we just watched two teams that will be playing in October unless Rome falls in, in Arlington this past weekend, which was Dodgers Rangers you guys hung 18 on Texas on Saturday. Holy hell. And then you had an early barn burner on, on Sunday as well. And those are two really good offenses. Yep. Dodgers look better, man. And, and I know it's a weekend sample and you can only take so much from that. But seeing two like heavyweights kind of go at it, what, what was your main takeaway from this weekend in Texas? Um, I mean, obviously the first game is kind of full go for everyone, but then Corey gets hurt in the first or second game. And I think that kind of changes the dynamic a little bit of it, at least for Texas starting shortstop, $300 million player. And, you know, he hurts his thumb and, and that kind of changes things. Right. But I think the biggest thing of, of Texas for me is just, you know, they were paying six starting pitchers at the beginning of the year, over $12 million, whoever, you know, John, you know, the list goes on of guys and, yeah. um, and we saw Perez today, but outside of that, we didn't – I forget who started the first few games. I know Dunning threw one. You got Dunning on Saturday, uh, Friday. Is it John Gray on Friday? No. So. No? Wasn't John Gray? I, I think the point is that it wasn't Evaldi or DeGrom. Or, it you was know, Heaney. Like, oh, it was Heaney. Right. So, you know what I mean? I, I think we had no Kershaw. We had – like, it's just an interesting – it didn't line up to do everything that we probably wanted it to be out of that series. It definitely didn't line up like a playoff series would. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, I, I think, you know, we have good memories in that ballpark and I know a lot of guys <laughs> like playing there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a fun series. I think kind of, I, I wouldn't say any sort of rivalry series, but a super familiar series and that Woody Woodward is back with us um, after managing there. I know I have a couple of buddies that went there from us, Josh Spores being one of them, um, Corey, obviously. And, and so it's, it's kind of interesting in, in terms of all the ties with us and with that ballpark and with their team now and Boach being the old Giants manager. And, it, you know, I, I think outside of maybe the Yankees, they might be, you know, if you're talking Dream World Series matchups, like that would be kind of an interesting one for some reasons that um, – we're probably a little unexpected, I guess. Yeah. A lot of fans like to look and, and, and baseball writers as well, like to look at certain matchups when we get to this part of the year as like a, a litmus test, right? Like 
that this is this big team playing this really successful team and let's see who wins the, the slugfest or the heavyweight yeah. bout. How much do players look at it in that perspective? I know in this instance, you talked about how it's it, not everybody had everybody, you know, going for them in this one, but generally speaking, do you guys look at, at some of these series at this point in the year as a measuring stick, or do you kind of just play ball and, and, you know, kind of just pit yourselves against uh, your stickers? You know what? I, I think those, those matchups were a little rarer, at least in the interleague side until this year, right now we play everyone every year. And so I think those things are going to become a little bit more, um, common, which I think is great. But in years past, it's like you're only playing one division. What if it's not the division that has the big boy teams, right? Like, uh, you know, I know on my – what parks I've even been to, I've, ne- I've never pitched against the Yankees or been to Yankee Stadium. I've never – I've pitched against the Blue Jays once, but I've never been to Toronto. Like, we've played the Red Sox. I don't think I've ever pitched against them in the regular season or at Fenway. I've pitched against them in one game, I think, in the World Series. So – now there's more of a chance that you're going to get to f- to play these teams. You are going to play them every year, but there is going to be a little bit of that litmus test thing that you kind of know going into, even if you only play a team for three games, right? Like you play them in August, it's not that far away, right? Like to play them in September, or October, November, right? So quick aside here, you mentioned you haven't thrown at Yankee Stadium or Fenway. I assume those are like, top two on like i gotta do this list throw at yankee stadium throw at fenway park and if you know you keep going for long enough you're gonna do it what was like i don't know you're you're holy shit i'm actually pitching in this ballpark place um i mean i think for different reasons wrigley was one of them for me just because i grew up semi-close and then you know cincinnati was was an interesting experience for me just because i have so much family and stuff not only in lexington but in cincinnati as well so um that was where I've never really thrown well there. I've gotten off to some good starts and then kind of crumble. I don't know why, but uh, it's yeah, a band those, we'll blame it on yeah, the I mean, those two are probably the, were the weirdest ones for me, but I mean, to be honest with you, my first start or my first game was at Dodger stadium. Like looking up there is such a wild experience in terms of even when you're throwing and stuff, you don't really get it, but you get on the mound and realize like this place is four decks. Like this is, <laughs> There's nothing bigger than the, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That makes totally sense. Agree. Is there is there another park that, you know, you maybe didn't expect to, to hit you a little bit? I mean, I've been trying to go to all 30 and some impress me more than others or some are like kind of just more encompassing than others. Was there one that you stepped on the mound or got out there before the game and you're like, whoa, this is a little bit more than I expected? Uh, I mean, New Texas has a has a pretty wild feel to it just with the dome and how big it feels in there. Um, I think Dodger Stadium probably has that most. I mean, think about how it's shaped, right? It's only the two the two kind of things in the outfield all the way across, and we still have one of the biggest stadiums in baseball. So, that being said, how big the backside of that stadium is 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 pretty crazy. Um, no, I, I mean, I think it's kind of cool. You can see different parks, like oh, I bet the same people designed this one that designed that one, <laughs> right? Like. There, there are some that have a little bit of the same kind of chemistry to them, seemingly. Like, to me, San Diego uh, and Washington are just kind of flipped. They have okay. a big scoreboard in left in San Diego, the big one in right in Washington, kind of an open area or center field, and that they just have, like, these similar feels to them. 
even in those two parks, like the walk down from the locker room to the field is a little similar. There's a lot of them. Philly, Washington, St. Louis all have essentially like the same walk, uh, which is kind of a, an interesting one. I think probably the most underrated park in baseball is Pittsburgh would be. Mm-hmm. would be a pretty popular answer among players. It's kind of a cool scenery. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Milwaukee had a cool feel in the playoffs in 18. That one's really cool. I, uh, I love that part. There, that was there's, like like a, there's a crazy – and a, this is, should not be a negative thing in any way. There's a cool, like, bar, pub smell in Milwaukee. Yeah. Like, during big games with the Dome and it's like – they're doing the sausages and stuff, but it, it's almost like people are smoking cigarettes in there. Like it's got a cool, there's a cool feeling. And it was like kind of a dicey series and we're playing game six and game seven there. Like that was a, that had like a little bit of something in the air, you know, the, the rough and tumble Wisconsin air getting in your nostrils. I, yeah, I, I I'm telling you, it's like there's fog in that dome, man. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, you just kind of opened my third baseball eye right there with like ballpark architecture. Would you say San Fran- no, San Diego and Washington are kind of flip-flopped? I think so. I don't know if everyone would agree with me there. There's just some like similarity. And then you look at like concourses and how people are behind you and stuff. You get like similar feels in, in certain places. I'm, I'm a sucker for architecture in general with ballpark architecture too. So yeah, like, um, like St. Louis to me feel it feels so flat and then it like gets high. Yeah. And then there's other parks that are like right up on you really yeah. quick. Uh, St. Louis is the one that's probably like the most gradual feeling to me. Got you. Okay. Uh, yeah, like Colorado is probably one of my favorite stadiums. I just wish it was at like two thousand yeah, feet, not fifty two hundred. But <laughs> yeah. in terms of like the the setup of the stadium and the it's it's a beautiful, beautiful park. Let's talk pitching here. Um, and I want to start with the American League first because, you know, we're kind of entering the award season. AL MVP feels all but, you know, finished. Um, you know, NL MVP, like it's it's kind of a Cunha's world right now and you've got others that yeah. are contending. But the Cy Young races are, are tight right now, I think. Yeah. And, you know, like in your eyes, I guess, in, you know, a pitcher's mind, who has been throwing the ball you feel like the best? Let's start with the American League. Who are some guys that you look at in the American League and say they are having incredible years and deserve Cy Young votes? Yeah, I mean, I think in the American League, obviously, Evaldi is kind of having one of those special years. You know, he's 11-3, 125 innings at a 2-7. or two seven. Cole, I think we kind of expected. McClanahan, Valdez. I think in the American League, it's a little more kind of <laughs> – scratch if that makes sense or guys that you would have looked in in before and obviously for me it's something i just don't watch as much american league baseball but um i think none of the i think avaldi is the one guy out of that group that you would kind of be like oh like he's having a really really good year as opposed to these other guys it's like yeah it's scare cole right like that's kind of the expectation and um i think avaldi is one of those guys that talent wise even within like in clubhouses and stuff because he was with us for a little while it's pretty well known how talented he's always been and um probably become one of my favorite pitchers to watch obviously the the second tommy john and and kind of having that but also he reached out to me after and so 
you know, a guy that I'm kind of following a little bit just because you have a little familiarity with him. Um, but obviously any guy that's, that's gone through two elbow surgeries, I'm, I'm certainly rooting for. And, um, I, I like the, this guy's having his career year. It was better than your standard year. Like he should win the Cy Young that year. You know what I mean? A specific question on that, because what's so amazing about Eovaldi's one, his stuff is still great, you know, having undergone two Tommy John surgeries, but they're, they're skipping him the next time through the rotation. They said that they were going to do that kind of with, with a bunch of different guys mm-hmm. and it's just kind of a maintenance thing. But part of the reason why they picked now to do it was that his velocity was a little bit down in the last outing, but he still went six shutty against the Tampa Bay Rays, right. which is extremely impressive. Can you talk a little bit about, how difficult it is and, and how impressive it is to be able to go six shotty or just give you a quality start when your stuff is two ticks down from, from what it normally is. Yeah. I mean, for me, th- that's kind of been the barrier. And I, I think the longer that I play, the more I feel like 10 years behind in, in terms of mentality or like what I am trying to do or what I want to accomplish. Like for me, six on two is kind of, what you should be trying to do, right? Like there, we talked about all these kind of things that I checklisted, like yeah. strike out one in inning, you go six and two. That means if you make 35 or 32 starts, you throw 195 innings, punch out 200 guys and you have a three. Like you're kind of in that park of, or in that ballpark of like what number ones and twos in the major leagues look like, right? And so that quality start metric I think is a little outdated. I've had some some interesting conversations about that. We some starting pitchers that we have played with Scherzer and I have talked a lot about this. So we think that it should be six on one, seven on two, eight on two, complete game on three, or some variation of that. You can make it a little more whatever, but maybe it was six on none, seven on one. Eight on two, nine on three. Okay. Wow. Is That's like, a high like, bar. Yeah, but like not to – I just know my numbers better than – I think in 2021 I had 26 or 27 quality starts. Like if I went back and looked, like I wouldn't be proud of 27 of my – you know what I mean? Like yeah. if it's not something that you feel like you really like asserted your game plan and like were successful and – did really good things and you you gave up a run because of x y and z then it's not it shouldn't be like super rewarded and, I, and honestly i don't think the quality start statistic is super rewarded now anyway so like let's put it at a bar that makes it rewardable right it was it was rewarded when Fromber like grabbed the record last year but i'm with you and like my my long I think it was 25 straight quality uh, starts. I mean, it was crazy. nuts. Yeah, like he's, he's just an animal. But I, my longstanding thought has like six innings, three earned is, is a pretty, like, I guess, low bar to clear for a quality start. I've always thought kind of six innings plus two innings or fewer. So I would just lower it by a run. But that shows that you and Max Scherzer hold yourselves to a very high standard, which I think is good for our listeners to know. Yeah, well, I think also, I mean, I'm I'm much more like open to oh, like something that makes me feel good about it, right? But like his pride and like an out, he just had so many of like a certain right. thing that it's like, oh, that's like quality. That's supposed. That's what I'm supposed to do, right? And so, yeah. 
I think he kind of pushed me to stretch some of my numbers a little bit. I'd rather hold on to a little of it, but I do, I do think six and three is a little, and the reasoning is like, if you're, if you have a four or five ERA for the year, like, I don't think you're making many all-star teams. Like Mm -hmm. if you want to talk quality, that's like, it's a different thing. Yeah. Quality for a number five starter or a four, eight, like that's a great, but if you're if you're walking out there believing you're number one or two or even number three starter and you have a four or five, like, I mean, I went through it last year before I got hurt. I had a four and I, I literally felt like the sky was falling every time I would pitch. Like, and that, it's just, I wasn't going six on two or three. Like it just didn't feel those games didn't feel successful to me. And so I think that metric needs to be, twisted a little to get to where like starting pitchers feel very successful if they achieve it. Got you. I'm just, I'm just imagining like a, you know, a grinder average pitcher in the league hearing that hall of famer Max Scherzer and all-star Walker Bueller think the quality start should be harder to get and just being like those, <laughs> those assholes. <laughs> well, I mean, like, listen, I, I don't think anyone wants to like go home and have a four or five ERA. Like, no, I'm happens, with you. I'm with you. Right. I'm with you. No, but 100%. none of the, if you're a grinder guy, like none of the guys you watched growing up had four fives either. So no. like, I don't think that the, I don't think the bar should be different because of how close you've been to it. You know what I mean? No, it, it's a great point too. Cause it's funny when you look at a stat line of six innings, three runs, you're like, Oh, like that's a fine start. But then when you, when you map it out to the ERA, it, it really does give you a totally different perspective on it. Yeah. And I think that, that, is another reason it's like so unbelievable and like underappreciated how good some of these guys have been in the major leagues. Right. Like we were talking before this Kirsch has like a two, four, seven for his career. Like two, two, five pace is four innings, one run. It's like, he's basically on one run for four innings for his entire career almost. Which is nuts. That's what's crazy. That is. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. Um, Kirsch, I'm sure, is one of those guys that jumps out to you in the National League as well. We'll jump over to the NL right now. Uh, and yeah. our, our video element today is going to be two guys that, you know, may make your immediate list, may not make yeah. your immediate list, but uh, I'm sure at least one of them is going to be there. So so yeah. Kershaw and who else in the National League is I mean, really hard. It's out. hard not to say Snell. I, I think we're kind of seeing the old Snell a little bit in terms of the Velos kind of crazy um he's really doing the two pitch thing um the steel kid from chicago's obviously had a really really good year um he's i think what's underappreciated about not underappreciated but what people aren't connecting the dots is he's doing a lot of the same things that freed does at least with the fastball it's not the same velo that max freed has and obviously he's been on the dl for a little bit but that like arm side straight ball and it cuts more as it comes across is really, really interesting to deal with. Um, we've seen it obviously with Freed throughout the past couple of years, facing them in the playoffs and stuff, but he's just throwing this ball that like, it never seems to a end up where it looks like it's going to, and B move the same way twice in a row, which from a command element as a guy that try, I try and throw like a perfectly straight ball. Like, I don't know how that like, that's a very weird thing for me to watch, which in my head means it's got to be very, very weird to try and hit it. <laughs> like, 
And, and so if he can kind of master that, I mean, Wade Miley to a different extent with the cutter has done that for a while and been really successful at, at certain points. Um, it's a, it's an interesting technique, but I, I got to believe that he's done that kind of his whole life. Right. Yeah. Um, but he's having a great year. Um, trying to think another guy we already touched on Stroman is having kind of one of those, like he's going to be good every time he goes out year. So, uh, and then obviously the two guys we're going to touch on, but. Specific question on Snell. Um, Obviously the the whiff numbers are crazy, but, and he's been much better of late in basically any statistic you look at, but do you think somebody with the, with that kind of stuff, even, even with that kind of stuff can succeed walking, you know, four or more batters per nine like how much of a handicap is that to to a starting pitcher's success because even over the last five starts where he's been great he's walking 14 15 percent of batters yeah i mean if, if, well who, how many guys are getting hits right like yeah. the man on first is the man on first it is what it is mm-hmm. uh, i don't think i don't think the expectation when he goes out is that it's going to be 12 pitch innings right like that's just kind of not how he operates and so the, oh, you can give up a hit in one pitch and it takes four to walk a guy. Like, yeah, that's if you want to be efficient. Like, he's going, I don't want to speak for him, but it's seemingly like for him, five on zero, like six on zero is like what he's trying to do, right? I don't think there's a ton of, like, I'm going to go throw a complete game today. I know he has before and been very dominant in doing it. But for him, it's all about like what level those balls come out of the hand at right? Like the closer that he gets that fastball on the slider to come out for a while, it gets tougher and tougher to face. And we've seen him in Tampa. We've seen him in San Diego. And, and there's days where it's like the heater can't get down and the slider can't get up. And then there's other days where it's like, you can't tell even on TV really until very, very late, which one it is. And, and when you're in that kind of mode, I think he's very tough to deal with. I know baseball fans in general don't really like watching walks. I know pitchers get really frustrated when they walk guys. Uh Um, But you mentioned like the runner on first is the runner on first. Snell attacks (laughs) pitching in probably a different way than you do in probably a different way than Sandy does um, in a different way than, you know, whoever. How have you ever interacted with a guy that like, is able to successfully kind of suppress the frustration of walking guys. Cause Snell can walk five and still go five shutout innings. feel like that can get frustrating for a lot of pitchers. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I think of it in terms of whip, right? So yeah, I think one kind of mental uh, anti-frustration technique or, or calm yourself while you're out there is like the, the walk, as long as you don't give up a hit, it's the same thing, right? Like mm-hmm. learning that and learn for me, it's like 15 an inning. I walk a guy like, can I get the double play canceled out in my head? Or can I throw less than three balls to the next two guys? Whatever you have to do to like do the mental accounting to make yourself feel good about it. Right. Yeah. Um, I've always had a really tough time when I'm behind on pitch count, not necessarily walking guys. Like for me, when I look up at the second inning, I'm at like 42 pitches. Like that frustrates me mm-hmm. because that puts a cap on where what I can do the rest of the game, especially when I feel good or feel like I'm doing really good things. And then it's like, well, maybe I can only get five or five and a third out of this when I had the stuff 
mentally to go seven, right? Like that's where it gets frustrating to me. Um, but there, you know, there's also the the risk reward that a lot of guys play is like, listen, I could throw 94 and throw strikes or whatever, or orient my delivery or orient my mix, but I'm going to give up more homers and more hits and maybe I'll be more efficient, but I'll have a point higher ERA. And it's like, if your best course of action to help your team win is to go and like spray really high octane, really good stuff. Like that sometimes there, there are people out there that that's what they have to do. Yeah. And I've, I've been that guy for a year or so, two years of my career where it was very much like, I hope I don't, I hope I'm throwing strikes today because I could walk everyone or, uh, or it could all be right down the middle and I'll just give up homers, but it's finding that like in between that seeming like even Blake obviously is, is kind of rolling and he's found that middle ground, at least for him, whatever those kind of, and you know, goalposts are for him. He's kind of in the middle, I think. Have you have you watched much Jesus Lazardo with the, with the Miami Marlins? And I ask you just because he's coming off of a 13 strikeout performance today, yeah. and, and you know he's kind of had a roller coaster in his own way of a top yeah. prospect, highly regarded, big part of a trade for the Nationals to help win the World Series. And yeah, then who was he traded for? Doolittle. Well, well, that the first time though from the Nationals he's been was traded twice, right? Doolittle and Madsen, and I think it helped win them the World Series. And then when he was with, and that Oakland, was from who? That was from someone to from Oakland? the Nationals, from the Nationals who drafted him. Overslotted him. In, I forgot he was ever in Washington. Yes. So they overslotted him as a high schooler out of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas after Tommy John, and then you know grabbed him in the third round. Gave him that first I didn't even money. know that. Yeah, gave him first or second round money. Really looked good when he first came yeah. out. Turned heads on the backfields. That was enough for the A's to say, hey, you know, that's who we want in this deal. Nationals went all in. They won the World Series. It's fine. He turned into one of the best pitching prospects in baseball in Oakland. They pitched him in the playoffs out of the bullpen, which I know you you have some familiarity with having to deal with that. And and I know that wasn't the easiest thing in the world for you. And I think it did kind of stifle his development a little bit as well, because then they threw him back in the rotation. He kind of struggled and really struggled to refine his, you know, regain the command. Eventually was flipped for Starling Marte back when the A's were buyers and okay. not, you know, team a team that <laughs> purposely tanked. And you know, okay. And and now with the Marlins, he has kind of just kicked things into another level. He's from South Florida, so I'm sure being home is great yeah. and everything, but it's just been amazing seeing him turn into the guy that everybody thought he could be. I don't know how mm-hmm. much you've watched of him, but I'd love to get some of your thoughts there because he's quickly turning into one of the better left handers in baseball if he can maintain this. Yeah. Was he an all-star this year? Unfortunately, no. He no, kind of kicked so he, in gear a little he's too. Gotten really, he's had a really good run since the break, right? Yes, exactly. No, I, I think he's been one of those guys for a long time. It's like, why why is this not working better than it was? Because it's always like come out of his hand really good. You obviously see kind of what he wants to do, and it's like the right things, right? I, I think of him, and there's a lefty from – Anaheim, I think Sandoval is the guy's name. Yeah, Patrick Sandoval. But it's kind of like at times you're like, holy, like what lefty doing? They're just similar to me. Yeah. And in the same way where it's like this guy like puts it together, he's going to be really good. And and seemingly um, Lazardo has. And I I saw some of the pitches from that game today. It was like the fastballs were touching two corners and everything else was like a ball below. And 
it's the same thing that we're talking about with Snell. It's like the level, right? Like where these pitches are ending up, you get in like these certain tunnels that if you have good stuff, you know, if you have really good stuff like those guys do, like you put them in the right tunnels, it's really hard to deal with. So, so that's really what it's about is, is kind of putting it in the right. Yeah. Tunnels. I mean, I think, used to be a guy that was erratic. I think that's the, probably the next step in delivery, right? Like, if, you know, we all have, powerful mechanics if you're going to be throwing 97 and you're going to be a prospect and all this stuff right but finding mechanics and feels that get you into the right tunnels a lot is probably like the second evolution or the third evolution of being like a major league starting pitcher i think right because like you can get away with being down like we're talking about with velocity down two miles an hour if everything's in the right tunnel like you just can't everyone talks about tunneling but nobody talks about like setting up your mechanics to put your pitches with the right action in the right tunnels. Right. Like, yeah, it's a whole nother layer to the thing. And um, you'll see a lot of guys that are 26, 27, 28 years old start really doing that. And I think he's probably even younger than that, which is great. 25. Yeah. So, but he's not 23 and he's not 22. Right. Like it takes some time and it takes some understanding of like, all right, my stuff can come out of my hand. Great. And I can feel great but i just am throwing way too many fastballs belt high it's like yeah you have to fix your mechanics to then be able to feel the same thing in that ball's you know two inches above the bottom of the zone a lot right and then you start punching out 13 and and whatever got you really cool all right let's jump into the other two guys in the national league that we haven't talked about and It's the guy that's pacing the league in strikeouts by, I think, 30 at last check. Is he 200 yet? Like, good Lord. I think he's 189. Strider, 189. I think the next best is like 162 or 165, something like that. So he is lighting the world. 350 in his first 40 or something like that? 348 in his first 220 innings or something. Just (laughs) 14 Ks per nine. Quadzilla. So – we're, we're going to jump into Quadzilla here, and then we're going to get to Zach Gallen, who honestly, like, if I had to name, like, two or three guys that I've had the most fun watching this year, I think Gallen would be up there with McClanahan yeah. and, and Valdez. So, By the way, I want you to run this number for us next week. I want you guys to go and find my best however many innings Strider has. Okay. I want you to see if I have 200 and whatever innings that lead that get to 340 innings total. They get the 340 punch outs. Yeah. I want to see if I even have 200 innings. That's a pretty advanced stat there. Man. Yeah. That, that might be above my pay grade. Um, Strider. I think I, I can dig that. I could definitely dig that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? If I like say yeah. I punch out the side 20 times. So then do I have 182 punch out innings? I doubt it. Oh, okay. So you're saying like extrapolate the best. 200 innings of your career and see if it's better than his yeah i hope it is because i would hope i punch out two guys in an inning enough times but i bet it's closer than we think okay we'll we'll take a gander at that spencer strider 14.6 k's per nine right now and 116.2 so he's got 189 strikeouts um we're going to jump in with strider and then we're going to go to zach gallon here but I, I plucked this sequence from Thursday, and we were talking about this on the Friday show. Um, so if this sounds familiar to you guys, we're diving in pitch by pitch now with a, a real all-star pitcher here. But um, this, this is right- also probably the most one of the most scary but most fun 
situations you can be in as a starting pitcher. Now, if this yes. was the first inning, it's a whole different ballgame. It's like you get punched right in the mouth. But man on third, nobody out is about as, like, the assumption is they're going to score, right? Yes. And so if you can get out of this clean, it's about as big a win outside, you know, bases loaded, nobody – like, as long as somebody's on third base with nobody out, it's about as, like, let's just see what we can do. Yeah, is it like a see how how nasty my stuff is today? It's like a freeing – there's a freeing thing to it. Yeah. You're playing with house money or something? Yeah. Well, you're losing with house money already, right? <laughs> it's like right. taking the buzzer beater from like 45 feet out. Like no one's expecting yeah, you like, to hit it, but if you cash it's like it. If you like went to a casino and I handed you 100 bucks, you're not going to go bet that on – you're going to go bet that on like a 50-to-one shot yeah. and just see what happens, right? Like yeah. if you're ever going to get lucky, it's the best to do with somebody else's money. Okay. You're, so you're talking to the wrong guy, by the way, because I think Jack would just would just – Probably take that and leave, but I'm yeah, I'm out. I'm I'm paying for the Uber with twenty of those bucks, and then I'm pocketing the eighty, maybe putting it in like a Roth IRA or something. We're gonna have to convert, yeah. (laughs) I'll get there. Um, so this is yeah, Cattell Marte shooting a ball one oh nine the other way, first pitch of the inning. And this is you're already three innings in to an ace off. So I'm sure there's that elevated sense of you know, just elevated testosterone levels. Like, hey, Zach Gallon's on the other side. I'm going to match this dude. So leadoff triple for Cattell Marte. He's seeing Corbin Carroll, who everybody knows is freaking awesome. Christian Walker and Dominic Canzone, really talented rookie. And I clipped the last two pitches from each of these at-bats against these guys. So yeah. one, two to Carroll. He goes 98 just off the inside black. He follows with 97 elevated to punch him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're talking about tunneling a lot, right? Like you see the difference in that is like three inches left to right, at least that's like an inch off the plate. And this one's like an inch on. Yeah. They're three inches different, probably the ball. Like this is, this is like where we're at in major league baseball, but you can see how as long as it's on the plate and it's got the ride, like, guys are going to swing and they're so good right to left. And the umpires, as much as I hate to say it, are pretty good right to left. And um, yeah, it's just a big boy heater in a big spot and hard. Like there's two schools of thought, right? There's like the really breaking ball heavy to go for the punch out. Mm-hmm. And then there's the guys that like have big heaters that try and throw that. Cause that's their swing and miss. Right. But for certain guys, it, it whether they're fastball or, or whatever else they throws their swing and miss pitch, like if you got a swing and miss fastball, it's still a swing and miss pitch. So I, I feel that sometimes when you throw breaking balls in those situations, like that time, like especially like a curveball, like people have time to consciously, I don't think they really do it, but they make a choice to like just touch it. Gotcha. Like I've seen so many guys throw breaking balls in that spot and it's like, the guy takes a horrible swing and just like drags it to first base and scores the run. Right. As opposed to what he did here. It's like, it's, it's now like hit it or not. And so uh, obviously he made the right choice there, but um, hard to do. I mean, that's a hard pitch to pull like to, to, all right, let's go. I've just thrown you one. You've just seen it. It was almost perfect. You took it. And then to like, go a little bit more on the plate is 
pretty wild. Yeah. Jumping to Christian Walker here. He then follows with 99 up and in on 2-2. And on 3-2, he throws yep. ball four, but that is a disgusting slider. Yeah, that, that, that <clears throat> I think that what we're talking about, the freedom, right, of having him in on third, your 2-2, I don't know what he did before these, right? But that 2-2 is to set up that slider. Like the intent is to throw that slider on three, two. Like I imagine if you had a microphone between the catcher and the pitcher, the intent of that two, two pitch is for it to be a ball, right? Like neither of them wanted that two, two to be a strike. Yeah. Because you're playing the odds of, we think we can throw this slider. And so they set it up as good as they could and to have kind of the nuts to do that on two, two, and then go three, two sliders. When you're in that spot too, you know, obviously you, you got to be working with your catcher. There's a lot of trust with your catcher and it depends on the circumstance. But when, when your backstop calls for a three, two breaking ball, like if you're in that spot, you talked about how that kind of takes some gonads there. Where would you be at as a pitcher? Like how would you have sequenced from two, two onward there? If you were in that exact spot? Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking right on, right. Really good slider, really good heater. And I, I think with Christian, that's just kind of what you're trying to do. Obviously, fastballs out over and sliders that aren't balls, he seems to kind of hammer. Especially, he's having a pretty good year, I think. And yeah, uh, yeah, hitting clean up for a pretty good team. So I, I think you miss with that heater, or you actually he probably dotted that heater for what he mentally was trying to do, and then throws a really good slider. If he takes that pitch, your first and third one out you're probably no worse for the wear in terms of positioning and mental like chess that you're trying to play. You're, you're in a decent spot. You can get a double play ball. You can have like the corners in and get that weird kind of check the guy, throw it a second, check the guy, throw it, whatever. Like there's a lot of ways that teams can play that. But I, I think the pitch clock is a weird element of this. Cause I, for me, I'm running through all these scenarios on two, two. Yeah. Right, like I'm. Oh, I want to go heater. All right, if I'm going to try and punch him, I'm going to go up in here. Maybe I get him there. I have a chance to get him there if I make it perfect. But I'm going to miss. I'm going to err on the side of ball to then go slider because then this next guy I know I can throw this pitch on. Oh, well, he's aggressive. If I throw a cutter, maybe I get a ground ball and we get the double play. Like so all I that's happening. All that's happening while I'm standing there trying to decide what I want to throw on two two. Sorry, I was about to say, I don't want to stray us from the point, but I, I am genuinely curious. Do you think they should relax the pitch clock restrictions uh, in the postseason for this exact kind of yeah. reason? I think they need to have a conversation with the umpires. I, I think it needs to be very clear cut. I don't think it needs to be different numbers. I think everyone's kind of played in this thing. But when you're talking within three runs after the sixth inning and a guy's like coming set as it goes down, Let's relax. The guy's yeah. touching the plate and moving his head when it hits eight. Like, it, if if the pitcher's not set at eight and he's nodding and the guy's not looking at him, but he's, like, in there and ready, like, it, I, I think we can relax it on the interpretation. I don't think the rules necessarily need to change. Now, if they said it was 20 and 24, 20 and 25, and it was hard, like they've been kind of calling it now. Great. All good. But that, that involves a whole new 
you got to redo the clocks and do all yeah. like just tell everyone to relax it by a second. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause everyone's used to this target number so far. Yeah. And again, I haven't been, I haven't done it. So I'm kind I, of literally layman on it, but that would kind of be my guess. To be fair, I the NFL athletic article about the potentially saying like three at bats of a thing, you just call the clock off. Yeah. Which isn't horrible. I, I get the context of it, but it's like the review thing. Like, what are you, are you going to save them? Yeah. Who's on the mound? Does a ball really matter? It's 0 2. I took too long. Now it's yeah. 1 2. Now I don't waste the pitch. Maybe I just start, you know, like, when do you take those? You know, to be I don't, the clear cut you wait till the one guy that really struggles on your team with pitch clock does it but he's probably adjusted now like yeah. i don't know i was say to, to be fair the nfl like it, there there'd be way more delay of games if they really called it when it was supposed to be called For there's sure. a lot of clock hits zero snap gets off and, and we just let it roll like i i agree there could be a similar kind of grace second there yeah maybe maybe you have a maybe you know we have the challenges right maybe Mm -hmm. you have a a two or three per team allotment before it's the penalty or you like call timeout basically or you can take the penalty and then later in the game you can throw a flag that you know flag but say like no we're good that's one of our three like we get three pitch clock violations a game in the playoffs that we can we choose when they don't count Hmm. I, I like that idea. I think that's better than turning the clock off. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Because I we've seen the clips. Like, we, we've seen what happened in spring training versus, like, certain postseason ABs, yeah. and you can get through an entire half inning before, right. you know, like a four-pitch sequence being over. So I'm with you. Just to wrap up here on, on Strider real quick, he yeah. sees Dominic Canzone here. So he's got, you know, two punch outs. You go 99 up and away to a rookie. Welcome to the show. And yeah. then a slider. And obviously he's – fired up how can you not be just through to just through to walker which is i don't know the report on this on this canzone kid yet i haven't yeah obviously pitched against him um but one i was talking to somebody at the field yesterday about if you can get me into a rhythm of even if it's righties and lefties if i can throw pitches in the same areas same pitches in the same areas um from a lineup construction perspective, right? Yeah. So I don't know if they have a, like, he's fastball up in, slider away. I think it's pretty well known. Like if this guy's fastball up away, slider under, like you're almost doing yourself a disservice by letting that guy have two straight at bats where he's firing the same pitches at the same spots. Got you. Got you. And then In we my just- perspective. Yeah, and then we jump to Gallon to wrap. We'll, we'll talk about how this game kind of ended after we ripped through Gallon. But this is – I chose just a three-pitch punch out of Eddie Rosario here because Gallon kind of showcased all three pitches that were working in this one. I early. can't believe you guys picked Rosario again. We've been through this. Yeah. I, that's on me. I got to be better. I'm sorry. I hope. I would think I would garner a little respect. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is Eddie, uh, and, and this is you know knuckle curve outside. Gallon then goes cutter inside, uh, and then he elevates a heater and Rosario at what ninety three, ninety four, blown by upstairs. So this is yeah. just like, is it here are my three best? Try and do anything with it. Yeah, I mean, at least in my 
remembering of Rosario, that that's kind of the plan. I, when I really faced him, he was probably the best hitter on the planet. We just kind of haven't seen guys get hot like this. But th- this is the plan to him. It's like break them all away or break them all under, cutter, heater up. And obviously I threw him a million cutters and he hit one about 400 feet. But we won't revisit that. I, I think everybody. I think for me, Gallon is one of my favorite guys to watch because there's he and I are as similar stuff-wise, I think, as anyone that I have for kind of reference. In terms, his changeup's probably a little better, but I throw like a real slider uh, where he has his cutter and kind of not as much of a slider. Yeah. But you can see where we stand, right? This is kind of a weird thing. So go to just where he stands on the mound. So think about him. He's got a changeup. Say he and I have the same stuff. Little curveball, fastball that's kind of jump cut a little bit and a pretty good cutter. So he has changeup, which moves this way. Yeah. I have slider, which moves this way. So I'm going to be better against right-handed hitters just on the stuff than he is. He's going to be better on lefties because he can do this. Got you. Got so you. he moves to the right to hide the ball from righties. I'm on the first base side to hide the ball from lefties. Huh. Huh. Cool. Because he can make it, he can throw a changeup that's harder. It's a harder pitch for lefties to hit. Yeah. I can throw a slider, harder pitch for righties to hit. So if our numbers are all equal, maybe he's a little better on lefties. I'm a little better on righties. And so we set up on the mound to counteract those. Gotcha. Isn't that kind of wild. That's really wild. I've never thought about it like that. Huh. Yeah, so does mound set up, like where you, you set up relative to the rubber, make that much of a difference? I know Brandon fought yeah, of the about, Diamondbacks. Think about how much more that. right to left. So from where he's – show me this cutter again. Yeah, cutter was on 01. So pause it when he releases it. Look at how far left that ball goes to get there, right? Yeah. So it comes across the plate. Uh-huh. Yeah. My cutter that starts there, my hand's going to be almost in the middle of the – my cutter that ends up there is going to start almost in the middle of the plate from this view because I'm all the way over on the left. So it would be starting about right here. Yeah. And ending I'm up. throwing it where it goes out to in, and he's just throwing it in because of the angle. So – Everything's like relative to that angle, especially when we're both kind of extreme. Now, if everybody's in the middle, it is what it is. But I'm as far left as I can possibly go. I have like toes on the rubber. Got you. He's like way over there and pushing to the right. You can see on the rubber where his drag is. Yeah. He's like pushing out there too. Look how far to the right his arm is. Mine's like right down the middle of the fucking plate. Yeah. Huh. But it's the same mix. It's just we're doing it from different angles. That's really cool. Walker Bueller and Zach Gallon a little bit more similar than we initially anticipated. So, boys, we haven't talked about the nectar yet. By the way, I know. What do you, what do you guys got going? We're we're waiting on packages. We're in a little. It's been hard to find everything we wanted to find, which is fantastic for bourbon. Yes. What I will tell you is this is in the Buffalo Trace hood or whatever you want to Sazerac hood. It's probably my second favorite bourbon in the game. 
okay. behind Weller 12, which is a special one. Difficult to find. If you guys find it for retail, buy all of them. You can. Okay. I'll buy them from you. But <laughs> good to know. That's um, crazy. That reminds me of like sports cards. Yeah. Yes, that's what it is. We'll upcharge you for sure. Blanton's, <laughs> which is has the notorious top of the little horse. Do you know the kind of secret insider info on the Blanton's bottle? Of course. I know. I know. There's a horse on top. That's it. Okay. So on every bottle of Blanton's, there's the horse, and then you see behind the hoof there, there's a B. Yes. Okay, so there are B bottles, there are L bottles, there are A bottles, N and T, O and S. So N is twice. So the big thing is if you drink enough bourbon, you will have, you will save them and have Blanton's spelled out. Okay, so this is. And the cool thing is they're all in a different pose. So the B's are in a different pose than the L's. And if you lay them all out, they kind of like a real horse race. So I was the weird kid growing up that had the map that you would put the quarters from all 50 states into. This is a a, like Listen, I did the same thing and I was a kid. You were a teenager. (laughs) Whatever, man. Um, Damn, that's way cooler. That's like 100 times cooler. And it's like an actual adult hobby. So do you have all of them? Have you, have you hit the, the Holy Trinity? Uh, yeah. So we had the barrel of it for our wedding. So I've kind of plucked certain ones to make sure I had it. My dad also got us. You can, you can go and buy it. I mean, you can cheat the system, right? You can go and buy, they have like a, a set that you can buy. Damn. What's but, the fun? Yeah. Man? It's a pretty cool. Um, I mean, it's not an Illuminati thing, but it feels a little secret society, <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. And it's good to know that you're part of it. Yeah, it's like, you know, you know. You just outed yourself, basically, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'm not involved. I mean, maybe in the Buffalo Trace, a naughty, you know. Yeah, that's good. That was a good abbreviation. I, I like that. Um, all right, we've already uh, we've already kept you too long, man. North of an hour. I think this was the first one over an hour, but appreciate you sticking around. Thanks for showing off the nectar. And, uh, yeah, if we if we do get this shipment, I think we're getting this shipment this week. If we do get it. you'll repeat Blanton's next week. Cool. Yeah, I'm down for that. Also announcement for everyone. We got new merch coming. Possibly we talked about. Yes. Yes. My buddies over at red vanley are going to hop in. I'm very, very excited. It's probably my favorite golf athleisure brand. I'm pumped up. It's exciting stuff. We're going to have some quality. I'm going to design a couple myself. I think, I don't know if they'll sell, but I'm going to try and do some stuff. I'm, no. I'm, I'm so in on that. I want to yeah. see whatever you sketch up and we'll, we'll just put it on the market and see what happens. Stick figures. Yeah, I think it'd be a fair field test. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be some stick figures involved. All right. Walker Bueller, you're awesome. We'll talk to you next week. All right, brother. See you.